The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Christ. You may be seated. Our youngest grandson, Ben, turned six earlier this month. And to celebrate his birthday, Ben was clear what he wanted. A Taylor Swift dance party. <laughs> Like most of the rest of the world, it seems, Ben is now a Swifty, and he couldn't imagine a more fun way to mark his sixth year of life than inviting all his friends over to dance to her songs, most of which he has committed to memory. It is hard to overstate the financial success and cultural impact of Taylor Swift's music. Her Eras concert has now grossed over $1 billion. Her new movie, based on the tour, has in two short months become the highest grossing concert movie of all time. And at the tender age of 33, Taylor Swift is on track to becoming the most successful popular singer of all time. Indeed, last week, Time Magazine named her the 2023 Person of the Year, which is the second time she has been given this honor, becoming the first woman in history to be twice <coughs> named Time's Person of the Year. Now, all of this is very interesting, I hear you saying to yourself, but what on earth does this have to do with church? Well, in recent weeks, Taylor Swift's success has led two of the nation's leading Christian publications, The Christian Century and The National Catholic Reporter, to run lead articles devoted to the question, 
what does the church have to learn from Taylor Swift? <laughs> and the challenge posed by these articles in a nutshell is this. The genius of Taylor Swift's music in large part lies in its ability to connect people, to create an intergenerational and cross-cultural community of joyful singing and dancing at a time when so many of us are suffering from loneliness, isolation, depression, anxiety, and a lack of <coughs> meaning. And however simplistic some of her songs seem, there is an authenticity to her music that is resonating with hundreds of millions of people across the globe and providing some hope in an otherwise dark time. As Amy Becker writes in the Christian Century piece that I mentioned of her experience at a Taylor Swift concert, quote, as soon as we arrived at the show, my husband Peter and I were both struck by the sense of being in a house of worship. The rituals, the chants, the ecstatic moments, the shared experience, even the reciprocal relationships established through friendship bracelets, it all underscored a sense of awe and transcendence alongside intimacy. People are notably kind to one another at a Taylor Swift show. At Gillette Stadium, even the security guards were smiling broadly and dancing in the aisles. And because our oldest daughter has Down syndrome, we were able to stand throughout the show in a section that Ms. Swift had specifically set aside for people with disabilities. It felt holy to stand among other disabled people, watching sign language interpreters and dancing alongside a woman in a wheelchair, end quote. Unquestionably, Taylor Swift has tapped into a deep longing in the hearts of many. And yet, Ms. Becker writes, as exuberant and fun as Taylor Swift concerts may be, her music still doesn't reach the depths of our need. For, and I quote again, the goodness of a Taylor Swift show merely points to our need for a deeper goodness. We are a lonely people in need of connection that goes far deeper than friendship bracelets exchanged with strangers. We are a people in need of permission to mourn losses and celebrate beauty for longer than a few hours on a Saturday night, end quote. And so the question, of course, is whether the church can rise to this occasion. Social scientists will tell you there are many reasons to think that it cannot, as the declining and anemic numbers of church attendance in America suggest. But then again, the faithful among us, the faithful know that with God, all things are possible. And what I want to suggest this morning is that perhaps, just perhaps, God is using the talents of Taylor Swift to remind his church that the power of a woman's song has always been at the heart of our faith and can be once again. Today, 
on this third Sunday of Advent, instead of our traditional song, we hear the great Magnificat, the song that burst forth from Mary's lips upon feeling the life of God's Son stirring in her womb. You remember the story that Luke tells of that tender meeting between two mothers-to-be, Elizabeth, who would bear John the Baptist, and Mary, who would bring the Son of God himself into the world. What an unlikely occasion for God to announce the salvation of the world. There, on the one hand, is Elizabeth, a woman so old that she might have been regarded as no longer a woman. And then there is Mary, on the other hand, a woman so young that she is almost not yet a woman. They are both shocked by their unexpected pregnancies, yet each embraces the truth that nothing is impossible when God is at work. These two women share a dream that one day the promises of God spoken through the prophets would come true, and that somehow they are to be a part of this story. No sooner are their initial greetings exchanged than Mary begins to sing out of nowhere. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary sings of God's love for a world of struggling nobodies like her. Mary's melody exudes hope that the powerless will be empowered once again by a God who always seems to work through the weak. Her pure voice shatters the darkness as she magnifies God for choosing her amongst all people for such a holy task. Though her life was threatened by this illegitimate pregnancy, Mary still finds joy in her calling. Not because she is getting what she wanted, she rejoices simply because she is in God's holy presence and therefore knows she can trust her future, however unconventional it may be. And so Mary sings. And however successful Taylor Swift has been, no song has been sung as often, been translated into more languages, has penetrated more hearts or changed more lives than these magnificent words sung by a peasant girl in first century Palestine. And the power of Mary's song, unlike Ms. Swift's, is that it is not primarily about the fleetingness of human emotions and experience, but about the enduring faithfulness of a God whose love never wanders or betrays or relents. Mary's song points to that deeper goodness our hearts long for, to the God who extends mercy, performs mighty deeds, scatters the proud, brings down the corrupt, lifts up the humble, and fills the hungry with good things. Mary's Magnificat tells the story of a God whose love knows no bounds and endures forever. And Mary also teaches us that singing is the only proper way to give thanks to God for all he has done. 
and is doing and will do. Singing connects us to one another and to the divine in mysterious ways. We sing to celebrate, to give thanks, to praise, to express wonder, to question, to protest, to encourage. At the beginning of our lives, our mothers sing us to sleep, and at the end of our days, our families gather around us as we die to sing us into the next life. Songs shape us at a deep emotional level. As St. Augustine puts it, when we sing, we pray twice, once with our words and then again with the melody of our hearts. All told, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. The longest book of the Bible, the Psalter, is indeed a book of songs. And the Hebrew people routinely sung them during worship as well as on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And let us remember, too, that Mary, in singing her Magnificat, is merely standing on the shoulders of a great line of women in the Bible, including Miriam, who was the first woman in the Bible to sing God's praises after he liberated his people from Egypt, see Exodus 15. And Hannah, who sang God's praises for giving her the young boy Samuel, who would anoint the future kings of Israel. And of course, our Bible concludes with a vision of God's kingdom lifted up in song. Read it in the book of Revelation. It describes the heavenly city of New Jerusalem as that place where people will gather, quote, from every nation, from all tribes and languages, and together we will stand before God's throne, palm branches in our hands, singing with one great, beautiful voice. And with our singing, all human division, prejudice, bias, conflict will end. All pain and struggle will cease. Every tear will be wiped away, and all humanity will be joined together through the majesty and beauty of song. And so too, my friends, must we sing God's praises, not just today, but especially next Sunday evening as we gather to celebrate the Feast of the Incarnation, the miraculous story of God becoming human, of God entering history so that we might be fully known, reconciled, and loved by the Creator himself. I so look forward to being with you right here in a mere seven days as we welcome the arrival of our Savior by singing the beloved hymns and carols of the Christmas season, songs even better beloved than the latest Taylor Swift song. <laughs> because it is in and through song that we will know that God has once again arrived. As an anonymous 15th century monk once phrased it in a poem, 
Thou shalt know God when he comes, not by any din of drums, nor by the vantage of his heirs, nor by anything he wears, neither by his gown nor his crown, for his presence known shall be by the holy harmony that his coming makes in thee. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.